church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. He says there, but this, 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. It's interesting for a few reasons, because Paul has been in a Roman prison for a long time. Rome, at this time, is a pretty perilous, evil, wicked time. And so it's hard to imagine a time could be more perilous, especially for Christians, uh, at Paul's time. But he is indeed saying there is a time coming, even though we're at a perilous time. And I think as we read through these verses of Timothy, we, we say, yep, 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 that's, that's our time. That's, you could say that 10 years ago, 20 years, 30 years ago as well. But yet he's saying it's going to be distinct from all other times. And he says to Timothy, you, you know this stuff. This, this stuff is common knowledge for Christians, especially you, Timothy. You heard me teach on this numerous times. Interesting, Paul went to Thessalonica, but he only was there, it tells us, three Sabbath days. So three weeks, maybe a few days past that, but just three Sabbaths. And when somebody else comes through teaching contrary to what Paul had taught, he tells these guys that he was only three weeks with. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. I should let you guys know, if you go to the church app uh, and download that, you can just click the notes and follow right along. have a lot of information in there that uh, we won't have on the screen, but we're trying to give everything up there as well. But concerning the times and season, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, Brethren, you have no need that I should write you. I, I, you, you guys understood this so clearly, I, I really don't have to re-say it, but because some people are contradicting me, saying that I've changed my opinion, uh, I'll just say again, I, I'm not. You know what I said. And then he says this in verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly, Interesting, because if I had three weeks to lead somebody to Christ and start getting into doctrine that would cause them to be essential stuff, I mean, spiritual warfare for sure, um, trials, we're all surprised by that. You think as Christians, we wouldn't have such trials, but I just wouldn't think that one of the Christian foundation classes would be on the second coming of Christ. But Paul says this is a subject we covered so thoroughly that you should have perfect knowledge concerning, and he goes on to say there in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 5, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, and he goes on. So, Timothy, you know about the last days, he says in 2 Timothy 3.1. Now, some try to say, well, what does it mean, the last days? Some people say, oh, that's the tribulation period. Some people say it's the days before the rapture. And biblically speaking, 
we find in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches the first sermon, because all these people are speaking in tongues, and they thought they were drunk, and Peter said, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning, but what has happened is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And he starts in Acts 2, verse 14 to 21, he says, what you are seeing right now with us speaking in tongues, and, and uh, this is a work that Joel prophesied about that begins the last days. He says in Joel, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men dream dreams. Servants, no matter what your economic status is. And then he keeps going. And then he says, you're going to see wonders in the heaven. And the signs in the earth beneath. He begins in verse 19 there talking about the tribulation period. And then he says in verse 20, until the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. If you know the book of Revelation, it talks about the seven-year tribulation period, and that moon turning to blood is at the very end of those seven years. So what is the actual definition given here by Peter? It started the day after Jesus ascended into heaven, and when the time fully came, it says in Acts the Holy Spirit was poured upon them in power to be witnesses. And cloven tongues of fire fell upon each of them. And Peter says, what you're witnessing is the first sign beginning the last days. When will this sign end? Joel says, the very end of a seven-year tribulation period. But the last days become more last days as we get to the last days, right? I mean, the fact is, is that as Paul's talking about all of these things, he is indeed talking about before the rapture. And you can go back and read in Thessalonians. He says, you know that day is not going to come until you see the apostasy, a great falling away of people claiming to be believers, True Christianity is going to be a hard thing to find. You go through the scripture, it says people are going to go to the east and the west, the north and south, trying to just find somebody willing to talk about the Bible plainly. But there's a famine in the world where nobody can just get plain teaching of the Bible. And, uh, and so we see here that these last days, and particularly the days before the rapture, the last of the last days, before the rapture, starting the last seven-year tribulation period, and then the Lord comes. He says they're going to be a perilous time, mainly for us who are walking in truth. He'll say on in this chapter later, if you wish to live godly, you're going to be persecuted. And he said that's almost every generation, but in particular... It will be in this final generation for Christians because the world will be working on an economic system where you get a mark on the back of your hand or your forehead, and it's everything. It's how you travel. It's how you buy. It's how you sell. And uh, it says that you won't be able to hide from the, the Antichrist and all his 
armies and all his minions finding you. It's going to be a very difficult thing. And unless you give in to him as God, to his religious system, and submit to the world spirit at that time, you will be tortured and, and put to death if you are left behind. You're not raptured out of here in the tribulation period. But we're going to start seeing all this stuff happen. I just, me and Cheryl were watching last night. We just sort of looked at each other. It says, this year they're hoping that the Super Bowl will be a cashless stadium, a cashless event. And they said they won't probably get it all the way this way, this year, but for sure the next Super Bowl, they're going to make it their aim for a cashless, everything's ca they won't take cash. They will not take it. Uh, at the concession stands or anywhere else, everything has to be done electronically. Uh, it's quite interesting. But the word here, perilous, is only used one other time in the Bible. And it's in a very familiar passage. Remember, Jesus comes across the Sea of Galilee to Gesineret, or the Gadareans, and this man who has a legion of demons in him comes running down. Remember, they would tie him up with chains, and he would break the chains supernaturally by the power of the, the devil. And he was completely out of his mind for a very long time. Everybody just gave up and let him cry and scream in the tombs and couldn't do anything about it. And it says there in Matthew 8, 28, that he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes. It says here, it's called several different things depending on the gospel. There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. Now listen to this, exceedingly fierce. The same word for perilous times. So let me say it this way. You know very well that the last days are going to be exceedingly fierce. That Greek word can also be translated ugly. It also can be translated infected. It also can be dangerous wound. It's a time that's going to be perilous with infection. I think that's the right one. Because as we go on down, he's going to say that very thing. That the church is going to have to fight against being infected, getting a, a you know a, a pussy wound, a dangerous wound, because um, the church is going to become reprobate. In First Timothy four, he talked about this same exact thing. Paul, by the Spirit, being a man receiving direct revelation from the Lord. No other man in history wrote more important scriptures than Paul. Our church is built upon the prophets and the apostles, but in reality, most of that is on the Apostle Paul. And he says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Spirit expressly, emphatically, jumps up down screaming, shaking you, that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits, infectious, vicious, perilous doctrines. And it's going to work. These deceiving spirits, these doctrines of demons, they're speaking lies and hypocrisy. 
but they're having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. It's affecting us. I've been working with a couple not here in Red Bluff, but she decided that her husband had been abusing her their entire marriage and even before. And asking what this abuse was, she gave me many, many examples. And I said, you're describing a man. You're just, and she says, that's exactly what I'm saying. All men are abusive by the fact that they're a man. And us women, and understand, this, this, this girl grew up in our church from almost infancy, went through our school. She went to a very liberal college. But she basically was listening to the wind. <laughs> I hate those Disney songs when they're like, listen to the voices in the wind. I hear that saying to my kids, do not do that. Because those are doctrines of demons. The Me Too generation that says men need to apologize for being men. And if you really want to stop being abusive, get in touch with your feminine side and live that way. I mean, that's, that's basically what it's saying. We should apologize for being, for having testosterone, <laughs> for, for, you know, little boys you know, rather pick up a stick and go hit something than pick up a baby and, and burp it, you know? And so we need to try to guide the kids and this next generation to basically be infeminate and, and quit being masculine because that is abusive. And um, when I realized I was fighting that demon, I, I, I realized she was deceived. And I, I simply asked her, She's got her degree in science and biology and said, are you, do you believe the Bible's the word of God? Do you believe it's true, the whole Bible? She goes, well, no, I mean, science is right. The Bible's incorrect on a number of things. And that's when I, I, just, I just, I can't help anymore. These are doctrines of demons that, that grab people, and unless they are willing to turn away from this, the, you know, this Doctrine. It's like getting the claws of Satan out of you and, and, and then, you know, taking some serious antibiotics, which would be discipline or discipleship in apologetic areas to prove that, no, uh, the Bible's correct even in the sciences. It's not a scientific book, but it does give a lot of scientific facts, and they are very much in, in alignment with facts of science. Not theories of science, but facts, absolutely. Well, Jesus talks about it this way. You know, I just was in my hometown in Visalia where I grew up. We were going down Main Street. And this has happened in the past to me. Where I'd look over at this sidewalk. And this time I didn't just meditate in my heart. I actually told those that were with my wife and my sister and my brother-in-law. And I said, right there on that corner, across from that building, it used to be Newberry's. I mean, it was really cool going to a store with my name on it, you know, J.J. Newberry's. All these guys are looking at me going, what are you talking about? Um, there used to be a store. 
And, uh, but I can remember my grandma, you know, I was maybe five years old, very, very young. I can remember it was springtime, but the sun was out. It wasn't hot. And I'd walked from my grandma's house, which was quite a ways, which was unique. My grandma did not drive. And uh, I just remember standing there, just, it was just a moment in time. I just loved my grandma so much. I was so happy to be going to the J.J. Newberry store, and I was going to get some marbles. And, 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 and now when I look at that spot, it, it has a sensation to me. Well, God, who can see the past, present, and future equally, he can look at spots in time. And he can say that spot, it could be the Jezreel Valley where the armor of, the, armor of uh, the, the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. He, he can say, I, I, I remember Saul's army fighting there. I remember, and, and then he can say, not only can I remember the past, I can tell you what's going to happen there in the future in this spot. And so he says, basically, there's times of history and the way the demonic forces worked and the way the people succumbed to their lies. I can tell you that I could take all of those wicked moments of time and bundle them together and say, that's what it's going to be like in the days before the coming of the Lord. And what does he use? He uses the days of Noah before God said, I got to kill everybody because the world can't reboot itself with wicked people whose hearts are wicked continuously. And then he said, the other one is Sodom and Gomorrah. Aggressive, wicked society, a vicious society as well. And he said, I can't redeem these people. You know, there's one guy that Barely counts, but get him out of there. And, uh, and of course, his wife didn't make it. And he had two daughters that did make it. His other two daughters didn't. But those daughters were perverts. And, um, and then God said, I just got to bomb it with fire from heaven until there's not anything left. So Jesus says this in Luke 17, 27. Thinking about these last days. He says it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Then he says something we didn't expect. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So I think we often think perilous times means, you know, there's going to be people dying of disease and hungry and no food and no fresh water. No. For most of the world... It's going to be prosperity that the earth has never seen. That's what we see in the times of Noah. They were incredibly smart. They were incredibly prosperous. The same with Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read, I don't have it in my notes, but in Ezekiel 16, it describes Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says they were just so crazy wealthy that that was it. And of course, we know Jesus said, getting a rich man into heaven, it's like getting a camel through the eye of the needle. I mean, that is one way to get men to just so they don't need God. I'm just so wealthy and I'm so secure with my wealth that I just, I don't find myself saying, God, I need anything. I don't need anything. 
And, and this is the way Satan is going to have that generation. But at the same time, it tells us in Genesis 6, 5, in verse 11 and 12, it says this, Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then verse 11 and 12, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their own way on the earth. So we see here it was full of violence, it was full of wickedness, and men's hearts had gone past the point of return. God knows when a man's heart will never come back to him. And he just said, the days of Noah didn't matter what happened, they would not repent. And uh, then in Luke 17, 28 and 29, likewise as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And then he ends by saying in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. She knew it was wicked, but she just loved living there because it was so prosperous, so comfortable. You know, they got their giant house with their swimming pool and all their servants. And, and, and so if you look at that list in Ezekiel 16, then the very last thing, after a long list of other sins by, not, by oppressing the poor and with their wealth, they just had idle time to imagine wickedness. Um, then it says, and then their abomination. So that was sort of like the last rung on the ladder that would happen in a society before either it would self-destruct, like Rome did, or God would destroy it. Daniel tells us that the Roman Empire, there'd be four great um, empires, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire, and then he says that Roman Empire doesn't get destroyed. It just fades away. But then it comes back. And it's going to be the Roman Empire, the spirit of that empire, that the Antichrist is going to come out of. And he said it's the iron mixed with clay. It was the legs and the feet. But it was iron, as strong as you can get. But clay, as brittle as you could get. You guys been keeping up with Brexit? The strongest point of the Roman Empire right now, the, the, the European Union, is, is England, the UK. And they're trying to get out. But the, what they had set up to get out would have caused them to be more in bondage than if they were to stay in. But this is what we're going to see. It's very strong. It's going to unite. We're going to see an economic growth in in. The, the Roman Empire is going to become incredibly wealthy and powerful as it breaks into 10 sections. And so what's that going to be like? It's going to be like the days of Noah. Men's hearts were full of violence, corruption. Demons were having sex with women and creating Nephilim, the giants. It was just a crazy, out of control, perverted generation. And even though Noah preached to them for 120 years as he built the ark, not one convert, and there never was going to be a convert. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it tells us in Peter that 
Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day. But yet, they didn't want to leave. Finally, the, the angels had to grab Lot and his wife and his daughters and jerk them out of there. They're dragging them up the mountain. And he just said, hate evil. Don't, don't look back. But it says his wife looked back. Oh, I know it's wicked, but I loved it so much. And she turned to a pillar of salt. So remember Lot's wife. This is what he's saying. It's going to be perilous for us. Why? He goes into the list here of 2 Timothy 3.2. I find 18 things on that list. Some commentaries find 19. Um, either way, here's the list. We get the first eight in verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. The word love, philo, we're going to find in front of four, or excuse me, five different words. First of all, he says, they're going to philo themselves. Now, it's interesting that most of us have grown up in the generation where psychology and every type of philosophy says, the problem with your unhappiness is you don't love yourself enough. Before you can be healthy, before you can have a healthy relationship or a marriage, the first thing you got to do is truly love yourself. And that's what you've got to get over, self-hatred and love yourself. Now, I would say if you hate yourself, that, that's not a good thing. And it's probably psychologically unhealthy. And you probably should quit hating yourself. You need to see yourself through God's eyes. And God loves you very much with flaws and, and all. Struggles and all. God still loves you. You're his child. But that's not what's going on here. There's a true love of self. And with that, they, they want money. And in 1 Timothy, he says it's not just having money. It's most people get pierced through with many sorrows because they want more than they have. And Paul says there's only one way to, to fight that, Timothy. And that is to be content with what God's given you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And the billionaires in the world will tell you, the wealthiest man on earth is the guy who's happy with what he has and wants nothing else. And so there, I, I don't think we have to stretch <laughs> the idea that we are in a world lovers of money. Now, it's interesting, it's not just in the United States, but it's throughout the world. Casinos are being built everywhere. And so, addiction, we're in not just our society, but the whole world is growing up in addiction. Little kids are being taught to be addicted to whatever's on the cell phone. They can't look out the window for five seconds as they're driving because they've got to be playing a game on their cell phone or their parents' cell phone. And then you got the addiction with all of the TV games, the Halo, and these things that people will go into a bubble and come out eight hours later, not even feeling like it was one minute. My son Nathan said that most of the people that are friends of his, their marriages are ending because of video games. The guy will come in from work and doesn't want to talk to the wife or the kids. He's just going through withdrawals, goes in, 
clicks in with all the people around the world that he's playing Halo, Halo with and just eats something, goes in there, does it till three, four in the morning, gets a couple hours sleep, jumps up, goes to work all tired all day, comes and repeats it. And, and they just, it's, they're addicted. And then uh, now, if that doesn't work, <laughs> then you're addicted to marijuana because, you know, that's, that, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And, and uh, we were just stupid for the last 250 years as a country by not legalizing that a long time ago. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's you got to sort of pinch yourself. Is this a dream we're going to wake up from? But somehow we're all going to be better off by curing all of our problems by getting on marijuana, that healthy, wonderful plant. So if that doesn't do it, there's all the pills that the kids take to keep up energy to stay awake or pills to go to sleep or pills to feel good. Most of our country are on feel-good pills. Now, understand, I know that anxiety is a real thing. And I know some people have to be on anxiety medication for legitimate reasons. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad about that. But those drugs are meant to get on. There's not ways to get off. <laughs> Your brain has to reboot its serotonin level and, and tries to retrain itself to get shots of dopamine. And it's a very hard thing. To, to get off those things. And then, of course, you get in a little bit of money, you can go off to the casinos. I mean, we're talking farmers out in the middle of nowhere. Now they got a casino. <laughs> they got their 50 acres of cotton and a casino. This is no joke. Farmers throughout Pennsylvania, all over the East Coast, and now in the West Coast, they are literally losing their farms. In San Diego, you know, we have the largest Filipino population outside of the Philippines. And it's a cultural thing there. And I, I have wept with many people. You know, one lady in particular, she came and her dad had joined the Navy. They can't say V, so they say Navy. And, uh, and became a citizen and retired from that and then worked as a postal worker, retired from that, had all this money coming in, owned numerous houses. He was a wealthy guy. Within a couple years after retirement, lost it all. Moved in with them. Because right there at the casino, they'll give you a first, second on your house, and a third on your house, and a fourth on your house. And right there, one signature, here you are. Go, here's a stack of money. Go back out there, and your luck's going to change, buddy. You know, I, I told my kids when they were young, we'd go to basketball tournaments and stuff there in Las Vegas with the Christian schools, and we'd, of course, end up in the casinos for one reason or another, and, and I'd just say, look, you know these guys aren't looking, because if these guys are not losing, because have you ever seen this quality of carpet? I don't even know who, didn't know it existed. Look at those chandeliers. <laughs> Look at this stuff. These guys are not only not losing, they are winning big. Because you're seeing the most elaborate things that man can come up with. And, uh, but yet, people know it. But yet, the, the rush they get from that gambling. And it just keeps on. 
There, there's just one addiction after another. And, and we are now lovers of ourselves. You deserve it. It's your money. Make yourself happy today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And then money. Money is going to fill in all the voids of my unhappiness. And then boasters. Again, we could take a night on every one of these words. Arrogant people. We don't, we don't have any of those in America, do we? <laughs> Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. I, I've seen this. Unthankful. Boy, this millennial generation, if you're millennial, sorry, but you guys are unthankful. You want to go to work and not get fired, but not do much work, and, and uh, it's all about you. It's, it's, a, it's a scary thing how they're so entitled. They're entitled to everything without putting out much. And, of course, unholy. We're going to find in verses 2 through 4, it's going to say, Philo, lovers of ourselves, Philo, covetous, love covetousness. Philo, money. Philo, pleasures. Philo, not lovers of God. They have no love whatsoever for God. Well, going on here in verse 3, they are unloving. Here's the next six of them. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. I think Romans says it the best. In Romans 1, it says, guys, there's going to be a generation coming when they are going to say, I do not believe in God. It's an atheistic generation. And they don't want to keep God in their thoughts, but they got to worship something. That's the way we're made. We are made. We all are going to worship something. You cannot not worship. You're elated, and it's your master passion on something. You can't turn it off. You can change it, but you can't turn it off. And so since they will not acknowledge God in their thoughts, they begin to worship creatures rather than the creator. And that society will eventually become such lovers of themselves, it turns in to a society of homosexuality. But he goes on in verse 27 to describe this of Romans 1, verse 27 to 32. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of for women burn on their own lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now, Listen to this list Paul gives in the last days. You ready? He says, they're going to be filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, gossips, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, the Bible says the spirits in the world convicting every man of sin and righteousness and judgment. And if they'll just take a moment and put their marijuana down, shut off all the other voices in the world and set still, 
they will feel convicted deeply. They know they're not walking in harmony with the God who made them in, in his image. And then it says, and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In the New American, it says it encourages them to be a part of it. Try bisexuality. <laughs> Try this out. Don't, you know, don't, knock, don't knock this pill or ecstasy or marijuana or this threesome sexuality or whatever it is and tell you've tried it. Don't, don't, you, you can't say it's wrong. It's like, yeah, I can't know fire's hot till I burn my hand off. It, it's ridiculous. It's, it's stupid that, that it's unreasonable thinking. But this is what the generation we're, we're in. And you say, well, wasn't it like that in generations past? Sure. Wasn't it like that in the Roman Empire? Sure. But we are talking these, all of these things are going to not just fulfill one society, but fill the entire world society. And uh, it's going to get to the point where it's virtually unlivable everywhere. <laughs> and this last year, it was interesting. So the year they legalized marijuana in Colorado, isn't marijuana supposed to mellow everybody out? The very next year, road rage went up 500% in Colorado. And you say, well, there's no room to grow. No, it's doubling. I mean, we're talking almost every day, people getting run over or hit or murdered on the freeway for just existing by too many people being on the freeway and making me mad. And, uh, and so, you know, I saw a, a testimony of a, a lady here in California, a beautiful Mexican soccer mom, just cruising along. And this motorcycle came up. You know, usually they zoom by you on the freeway, right? They can go between cars. But for whatever reason, this guy was just putt, 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 passing her, but not fast. And it just, she just blew a gasket. Chased the guy. She said she just wanted to bump his tire to give him a, you know, hey, Mind your business, you know, don't, don't be like that. But she ended up getting off the freeway, swerving, and she not only bumped the guy, she ran over him and the entire bike and killed him, and now she's spending um, decades in, in prison. Remorse like crazy, and she honestly says, I have no idea what happened. People all say she's the most wonderful person you could ever meet. I believe it. I have felt that rage. I'm just cruising along, singing, having a good time, and some guy flips me off, and, and I'll tell you, I, my, my instinct is, is not just, you know, to say Jesus or anything. I mean, I, I, I got to fight my emotion, and I'm, and I'm wondering why. It, it, I'm so angry and thinking about cutting him off or something, and, and I just let it try to chill out. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> I know what that's like, and man, I'm, I'm thankful. This is why I don't carry a gun in the car. <laughs> shoot, shoot first and apologize later. It's not going to work. In verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice it doesn't say loving pleasure is wrong. I mean, God gave us pleasure. 
One of our strongest sex, one of our strongest drives is a sex drive. He's given us all kinds of fruits with different colors and flavors and textures. We have all kinds of foods to eat of all varieties, and we do it for pleasure. Pleasure's not bad. But when pleasure replaces the love for God, now that pleasure that's all moral in and of itself is now evil, right? And so this is what it's saying is that there's just so, again, we're in the so many things to be in times of Noah. We're times of prosperity. And there's so many things to be in love with. I've got so much money. I can travel and see the world and go to Las Vegas for a couple of weeks and I can blow a few thousand dollars and it doesn't matter because I, I can lose it. I can afford it. And I, I just, I'm just enjoying everything and every part of, of life. But yet, God is not, you're not seeking God first and his kingdom and his righteousness. And you don't feel bad about it because I'm just so busy, I don't have time to think about it. And yeah, you know, I, you know, we're enjoying life. I worked hard for years and now I'm just spending the last 30 years doing what I want, what I want, how I want. I know, and that's fine. You're retired, the kids are all the house. But be careful that God is still your master passion. And he goes on to describe this in verse 5, that this apostasy, this generation of apostates that, that leave and walk away from the living God, they still have a form of godliness, but denying its power. There's no reality in it. It's, it's, it looks good. It sounds good. You sit in a pew. You sing songs. You hear a sermon. You, you, you talk Christianese. It, you, it really is undistinguishable. If you hang out for a week or two, it looks just as good as any other Christianity in existence. But in reality, there is no reality in it. It does not change in your life. You're not living it. You have no desire to live it. As soon as you leave church, it's like leaving a movie. You're done with it until the next time you go to a movie. And there's no intent on obeying the word of God or denying yourself, taking up a cross and follow Jesus. No, it's an easy believism that's comfortable, that takes, doesn't take much of your time, doesn't take much of your money. It doesn't take much at all for you to be a part of this form of godliness. And he says, when you see this happening from such people, turn away. Remember, he says in the last chapter, Timothy Get away from anybody that doesn't love the Lord the way you love the Lord, right? Get with those who love the Lord out of a pure heart. And you're, you're not, gonna, not everybody that shows up at the church is that person. You need to be discerning and saying, I'm not going to just hang out with people because they go to the same church. I want to get together with people who have the same passion. I was talking with Greg and Norma Phelps last night and my wife and and I, I went to a Christian college, and, and just, they had no heart for God. And I would date a girl, I thought she did, and then I realized, no, she's, she, she goes to church, and she looks the Christian part, but there's no desire to seek after God and live for God and be fruitful Christian. So I gave up. I just said, forget it, and I'm just going to get my eyes on the Lord and, and serve him and, and, and just forget it because I, I don't know if I'll ever find a girl that has the same convictions, the same desires, the same vision I have. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I met my wife. 
and she is my match and then some. I'm trying to keep up with her. She's amazing. So, that, you know, again, don't settle. Don't settle. Find you Davids, find those Jonathans. <laughs> you Jonathans, find those Davids. And then in verse 6, for some of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various loves. Now, this, this term, gullible women, is not just talking about women. It's actually a derogatory term talking about um, just a weak-willed person, okay? Like we would say to somebody, what are you, a little girl? You know, something like that. He's just saying it's of the male and female species, both. But it's just people who don't have a real conviction to follow Jesus, and they're easily swayed um, by what feels good, by what's pleasurable, what's, what's easy to understand in the moment. So there, you know, it says there in Galatians 1, Paul writes and says, I can't believe right after I left Galatia, you were so quickly moved by another gospel he uses the word alios, which is the word not another of the same kind, to another Jesus who's not the real Jesus. I'm, I'm shocked. How did that happen? And he writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, I fear for you guys, because just like the serpent deceived Eve, so you are being deceived and led away from the simplicity that's in Christ. These are these people. They're not grounded in the word. They don't want to be. They don't think they need to be. And of this sort, these guys are, are figuring it out. They, they're looking at these people that are easily moved, that are weak, like a, like a um, uh, I guess we'd call them dumb blondes or something, you know? They, they just are weak-minded people. And, and the big part of the reason is, is they're struggling with sin, they're feeling guilty, and these, these people come in and, and say, it's okay. Remember, we looked at that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 a couple of weeks ago on sanctification, and, and, and he said that this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you keep your body in honor and sanctification. For God did not call us in uncleanness, but in holiness. And if anybody says otherwise, let them be accursed. Because the, the people there in Thessalonica were saying, man, I'm struggling with sin. That's not a sin. Don't just do it and don't feel bad about it. No, 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 God, God could care less about you having sex with your girlfriend. It doesn't matter, you know. It, 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 why are you thinking that's a sin? And, and they convince them otherwise. This is what's going on. In verse 7, it says, Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're intellectuals. They got their doctorates in theology. But they, when you... Hear what they're saying. They contradict themselves. They, 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 they talk in circles where, in, in essence, you basically choose what's true or not true of the Bible. And you choose your way of God. Now, I can't tell you how to be a Christian because you and God are working things out on your own terms. That's the way God is. For you, it's sin. For me, it's not a sin. For you, it, it's, it's perfectly okay. For me... You know, with my God, the way I understand him, me and him got things worked out, man. It's good. Yeah, they, they, they say stuff, but then they leave everybody open-ended, going, well, what do we act on? Basically, whatever you think. Well, why, why did I listen to that then? 
you didn't tell me anything. You, you talked for an hour saying all these things, and this could be true if that were the case, and that might be true if, if that were, and I know some people say that, but that some, could be right, could be wrong, I don't know. And well, God, have a great week. And, and they're not helping. They're not coming to the truth of God. They don't believe in the word of God. They don't believe in holiness. They don't believe in the nature of Jesus as he is. And he says it's, it refers back and reminds him of the time where Moses stood between those two, stood before those two magicians. And he names them by name here. In 2 Timothy 3.8, he says, Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. You remember that story? Do you remember that? When Moses took his rod and threw it down, it became a snake. And then they could do the same by the power of Satan. And then, of course, Moses' snake ate theirs up. <laughs> but then it just kept going, right? He turned the water to blood. They could turn the water to blood. Now, I think real power would be turning the water back to, to water. <laughs> you know, But they couldn't do anything positive because Satan is just... He doesn't have the power to do positive things, only negative. And then you remember the frogs. They were able to do that. And then they went to the fleas, and they said, oh, this is the hand of God. We can't, we can't do this. You need to sober up, Pharaoh. But they didn't sober up, even though they knew it was the hand of God. They themselves, knowing the truth, they didn't repent. They didn't become followers of God. And that's these people, even though they see the ridiculousness of their teachings, even though they realize there's, there's no reality in what they're saying. And then, of course, when somebody truly gets born again and they start seeking the Lord, what a powerful thing that is, right? When Paul stood before those Roman leaders, what did he say? He gave him his testimony. I was a sinner who was the enemy of Christ, the opposite of what Jesus wanted me to be. And God stopped me, and I'm born again, and, and now I'm following him and living for him. That was, that was the big, smart, intellectual um, thing that Paul had to say. It was just his testimony. I was blind, and now I see. I was lost, and now I'm found. That was it. That's powerful. Well, in verse 10, 9, in the last verse we're looking at here tonight, but they all profess, they all progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Just to take a few things from the headlines, I just want you to understand. It's not like you've got to go fishing hard to understand this. Look at this first one. Faith leaders get together to bless the abortion clinic. Assessing and providing abortions are godly decisions. And there should be a picture of those guys up there, but they don't have them. But it's a whole group of pastors going to pray God's blessing because it's such an important thing for, to happen. And then the next thing is, ministers claim sex before marriage hookups, not sinful. They say chastity is outdated and silly. Each of these people, by the way, they always use Jesus as their example. Jesus wasn't married, but he was having sex with his apostles. I'm, I'm not joking here, guys. It, it's unbelievable. And then the next one here, a blasphemous video called Queer Theology, that's their show, 
The founder claims Jesus is in pansexual, polyamorous, that's being in a relationship with more than one person, and relationship with the church. And he basically says this was Jesus' example. And therefore, we should follow his example by having multiple partners even at the same time. Here's another one. An atheist United Church of Canada minister keeps her job after an agreement reached before trial. So she's a part, she's a pastor in a Christian church, but she becomes an atheist, but she's not, doesn't want to quit her job. They try to fire her, goes to court, she wins. Here's another one. Ordained minister of spiritual consciousness claims Christians can also be witches. And she basically says, look, we're all channeling God one way or another, and uh, we're all sinners, we all struggle, and nobody's more righteous than anybody else. Makes a good argument, believe it or not. These, these guys, when you read these articles, they're not idiots. Here's another one. A Posse Church files human rights complaints against sign company for refusing to post its gay positive messages. So this, they wanted to, to have not only sign company make the signs, but to have these signs as an example of other types of signs that could be made. And they said no. Took them to court. Let's see. I'm going to skip that one. We're going to go to Lutheran pastor defends ethically sourced porn wants to remove shame from the industry. So this Lutheran pastor basically explains that uh, if, if Jesus were here, he would very much condone it. And uh, we as Christians should not make people feel guilty for looking at porn. I mean, th this, is, this took me two seconds to find. <laughs> okay? So this is what I'm trying to say is this is unique. We are in a unique generation. The world is brutal. Jesus said we're always going to see wars and rumors of wars, nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. True. But it's going to amplify in a unique way. Earthquakes have always been here, but we're going to see earthquakes coming in unusual ways. And so these are all the birth pangs to wake us Christians up. As Jesus says, you, when you see these days coming upon you, watch and pray that you're counted worthy to escape all these things, right? Lord, we sober up, realizing we are in a very perilous time. We are in a time where people around us surprisingly are going to listen to the spirit of this age, to the doctrines of demons, and depart not from church, not from being religious, not from being godly in their own way, but they're going to depart from the living God. And so, Lord, we know that, that Paul is telling Timothy for himself and those in Ephesus, and really as the living word of God for us who are in this last day, to wake up and not be caught unaware, not to be deceived by the Antichrist and by the demon spirits of these days and, and by the line of, of all of these once strong Christian churches now 
saying atheists can be pastors and Lutheran pastors. I, I know Luther would roll over in his grave. But yet, Lord, we just come and just say, Lord, we're not, we can't be a bunch of self-righteous prudes. We know that we are in this generation fighting to be holy. It's hard to see others that have the same degree and desire to be holy as you are holy. We're trying to find those who seek the Lord with a pure heart, and it's getting harder and harder. There are so many pleasures. We can fill our life with so many pleasures, and it can start choking out our pleasure for you. Lord, we just come now. We're watching, we're praying right now that we escape these things and be worthy that you're coming. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.